We're going to jump into the scriptures in Romans 6, 12 to 23, and you will see, I think, the providence of the Lord in terms of the passage we're covering as we've been going through Romans and just the incredible work of the Lord and drawing people to himself that we heard in testimony and song this morning. Romans chapter 6, so for those who have been following this sermon series through Romans, uh, we've been learning how we are no longer slaves to sin, we are dead to sin. Uh, And then in chapter 6, he continues here to talk about our freedom. We're free from sin's dominion. Sin no longer has lordship or mastery or control or authority or power over us. We're free. We're free. We're free from sin, uh, from the uh, slavery to sin, and free then to serve the Lord in righteousness. And really, it's either or. Uh, You are either serving sin and slavery to it, or you are serving God and pursuing righteousness. There is no, ultimately, there is no in-between. And the question is, whom do you serve? You serve your flesh, your desires, the world, the expectations of the culture, or you serve the Lord Jesus Christ? For whom do you use your body, your mind, your heart, your time, your energy, your resources, your very being, To serve the Lord or ultimately to serve sin. We're in chapter 6 of Romans, looking at 12 to 23. Be free of sin's dominion. We'll have it up on the screen or you can look at your Bible. We read this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit... Were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification in its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and may God add his blessing to the reading, preaching, and application of his word. Be free from sin's dominion. Here's where we're going. Use your body for God's glory. That's 12 through 14. 
15 to 20, be a slave of righteousness, not of sin. And then finally, 21 to 23, consider the fruit of your service. Consider the fruit of your service. So first thing he says here is, now use your body for God's glory. Don't use your body for sin. As he says, let not sin reign in your mortal body. We still live in mortal bodies. The hope of the Christian life is that the mortal will be swallowed up by what is immortal. And we will be living in incorruptible, resurrected bodies in time. But right now we still live in mortal bodies, meaning they die. They're subject to death at some point in time. Well, don't use your mortal body for sin. Don't obey, as he says, its passions, its desires. Instead, well, first he says, don't present your members to sin. And by members, he's talking about a part of the body. By the way, that's where we get the idea of membership from a church. We think of the human body has different members, 1 Corinthians 12. We don't mean membership like BJ's or Sam's Club. We mean a part of the body, a finger, a hand, an eye, an ear. That's what it means to be a member, a recognized part of a church family. Well, he's saying here, in the human body, don't use your members, your parts of your body, for sin. Don't use them as instruments of unrighteousness. Actually, the word for instrument there is often translated weapon. A weapon for unrighteousness. A sword, spear, javelin, a bow or an arrow, a mace. Don't use it as a weapon for sin. And instead do what? Present yourselves to God as one who's been brought from death to life. From Adam to Christ. From condemnation to eternal life. You've been transferred to a new kingdom. And now then, use the members of your body as instruments of righteousness. To do good instead. Uh, obviously he's talking here about the body. Um, you know, interesting the Christian church has had sort of a mixed understanding of um, the human body. Uh, the Bible, by, on the other hand, is completely pro-body. I don't know if you know that. It's for the body. God is the creator of the physical world, and he's the creator of human beings in particular, and he's made the human body good. It's meant to give him glory. It's really kind of a Greek view that saw, saw, saw the physical world that we live in as kind of evil, and the life of the mind as good. That sort of crept into Christianity, really in its earliest days, in something called Gnosticism. The idea that the body is the source of all that is evil and sinful in the world. All that is uh, physical is bad and spiritual is good. It's not the picture in Scripture. Both the physical and the spiritual is created by God and meant to be used for His glory. In fact, we as Christians believe in a future resurrection to an incorruptible and immortal body. Ultimately, as Jesus himself was raised as the first fruits we'll be celebrating at Easter. The same body that went into the tomb was resurrected and came out of the tomb. How do we know? Because the tomb was empty. Now it was changed. It took on immortality, but it was still the same body. What's wrong, according to the scripture, is not the physical. What's wrong is our nature. That we are in bondage to sin. And so we use our Bodies in sinful and evil ways because that's what our nature desires. And the point here in Romans 6 is that God has transformed not our bodies yet, but our very nature. He's made you and me a new creation in Christ. We have been regenerated. We have been born again. 
And now of a new nature, see, the nature simply does what it wills, wants what it wants, and then uses the body towards its end. But if God transforms our nature, and we have been gone from death to life, and put into a new kingdom, then what we will now is to know and worship him. Which means we now seek to use our bodies in a way that is righteous. Let me just be more practical here. How are you using your body? (laughs) How are you using your tongue to slander, to gossip, to tell lies, to insult others and tear them down, or to encourage, to teach the word, to share the good news of the gospel? Right? Same body part used for very different purposes. Your hands for violence, to steal, to give signals to other drivers that we want to uh, model for you here. Or to serve, to hold the hand of someone you love, to lift up in praise. Your eyes, are you using them to lust, to covet, to look down with scorn upon someone else, or to see genuine needs? To read the word. To behold the beauty of what God has created. Your ears. Are you using your ears to hear that juicy gossip? (laughs) The Bible describes it in Proverbs as choice morsels. Almost like food. We want to hear that juicy gossip. Or to listen to praise. To hear the hurt of a brother and sister. To care for them. We could go on. Your stomach, your lungs, your gut. (laughs) Are you using it to be a glutton, to get drunk for sexual sin, to get high? Or are you using it all to honor and glorify God? God has changed your nature. Now use your body for his glory. 15 to 20, be a slave of righteousness. Be a slave of righteousness. We act as slaves to righteousness now. And it starts off with a rhetorical question. Um, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? And again, gives that strongest of negations. By no means, no way. May genoito in the Greek. May it never even come to mind that we would do that. We are now saved by God. We seek to live for him. He says here that it's a form of slavery when we seek to obey sin. Ultimately, whatever you're serving, that's your master. (laughs) If you want to know who you're a slave to, look and see who you're serving. If you are offering your life in service to sin, then by definition, you are a slave to sin. If you're offering your life in service to God, then by definition, you are a servant of the Lord, set free from sin, and now in slavery to God. Now, he he does mention here, I'm using human terms because of our limitations. Slavery to righteousness and slavery to God is not really slavery at all. I mean, we all know that in practice. It's freedom. It's joy, it's happiness, it's really nothing like slavery as we think of it. But he's using it as an illustration. Um, the body was once enslaved to sin, to lawlessness and impurity, but now works, serves towards righteousness. Uh, this idea of slavery to God, again, it's an illustration uh, using human terms. Uh, slavery is a man-made structure, and obviously in 2,000 years of church history, it is a loaded term. Actually, there's a real shameful history in um, how Christians have treated slavery. And even when you look back at history, the number of amazing Christian leaders who own slaves, even here in the United States, I would just add abolitionism 
was a distinctly Christian movement. Uh, so we have that, but there is a lot of shame in how we've treated it. But if you look at the whole of Scripture, of course, and it's even later in Romans, it's far more than mere slavery. We are adopted as sons and daughters. We are loved by God. We are treasured by him as his people. This point is to simply say, God is our new master. We serve him. He is Lord over us. And even throughout the scriptures, all of the apostles, those in any type of leadership, describe themselves as what? Servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's his point. Be free. Be free in Jesus Christ. Free from sin's dominion. Free from its guilt and punishment. In Christ, we are forgiven for our sins. There is no longer any punishment to come. As John says in 1 John, perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And in Christ, we are forgiven. But more than that, not just free from its guilt, but also its power. It's the great hymn, Rock of Ages says, right? Free from not only sin's guilt, but its power. Now, Sometimes God will actually set us entirely free from a sin's power, from sin's power. We heard that in some of the testimonies struggling with addiction, and then God takes it away. And praise the Lord that He does that. He does that not just with addiction, but any of our sinful struggles and temptations. Other sins we may struggle with for years, even as a believer. There are some who will struggle with a particular sin or temptation for the rest of your mortal life. But in the end, we are free of it in Christ. It may be a battle that we face. And friends, we may need to use all means necessary to battle against sin. Uh, It may mean using adult and teen challenge It may mean seeing a Christian counselor, whatever it is, using all means, and certainly the local church. Our job is to help one another as we seek to live for the Lord. But ultimately, sin does not have dominion. It doesn't have lordship or control or authority. And for those in Christ, it will not have the last word. The last word is glory for those who are in Jesus. 21 to 23 Consider the fruit. Consider the fruit of your service. Look at the fruit. What fruit are you getting from sin? <laughs> what, what value does it actually give you? Uh, as he says here, the things that we were now, are now ashamed of, the, our former life. What benefit actually did sin bring to our life? He says the final fruit, the end, the telos, of those things is death. So not only does it not give us anything of any value in this life, but the final product of sin and slavery to sin is death, physically and spiritually. Charles Spurgeon said, you who have had experience of sin to the full, has it after all turned out to be the fair and lovely thing it once seemed to be? It has worked nothing for you but sorrow and suffering. And it will work your eternal ruin unless God in his great mercy shall prevent it. We are now set free from sin to be slaves of God. 
And what's the fruit of that? What's the fruit of sanctification? What's the end, the telos of that? Eternal life. (laughs) Eternal life. And he ends this section with that famous verse that we often quote, the wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. Again, if the earlier term is really reference to weapons, this may be sort of the wage you would give a soldier who uses their weapons to serve its master's sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Not a wage, not something we earn, but the free gift in Jesus Christ. But really, consider this, friends, for all of us. What has sin given you? <laughs> what benefit did it actually profit you? It's a cruel master. It demands so much of your life and your time, and all of its benefit is bad. There's nothing good that actually comes out of sin. Thomas Vincent, the Puritan, said, Nothing doth hinder men's happiness here. Nothing can deprive them of happiness in the other world but this evil of evils, sin. Now, of course, as we just heard, God can bring good out of evil. That's how good God is. That has nothing to do with sin. It has to, be, it has to say, say something about how glorious and mighty and wonderful our God is. We all look back and see horrible times in our past and sins that we struggled with and see how God even used that and worked that in his perfect plan to do amazing, glorious things. But the sin itself, drugs, pornography, greed, gossip, what did they give you? What fruit did they give you? And as he says, the end of it is even worse. It is death, judgment before our God because there's no relationship with him as we serve our master's sin. The opposite of that is the fruit of sanctification, the fruit of knowing God, right? Give up. First of all, what's the, what's the fruit of sanctification? You don't have to feel all of the bad fruit of sin, the self-destructive and ruinous effects of sin in our lives. So that's just, just to not experience that is one thing. Sometimes someone will come and say, you know, Pastor Rick, I, I became a Christian so young, I don't even remember it. I was five years old when I came to, to Jesus. I don't have this great story of drug abuse and addiction and going to jail or whatever. And I would just say, and I think our brothers would join me, praise God for that, right? God spared you the ruinous effects of sin. What a glorious testimony that is. All the more, friends, that we in our children's ministry want to say, let's, let's bring these kids to Jesus now. But more than that, friends, it's not just not, affected, not feeling the, the negative effects of sin. The fruit of sanctification is to know God, which is the greatest joy and happiness that this world has to offer. It is to have purpose and meaning and mission. It's to be called to holiness to serve the king. And holiness is where real, true happiness is found. C.S. Lewis said this uh, in a letter to an American friend. How little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. If even 10% of the world's population had it, would not the whole world be converted and happy before year's end, (laughs) right? There is a joy which comes in knowing God and loving and serving him. The fruit that comes from sanctification is immense. More than that, there's fellowship. 
there's reconciled relationships. Mike, when you said your mom stopped saving for your funeral, man, that just broke my heart. There's Christian fellowship as a family. There's genuine love and the joy of community. You could hear that in our brothers too, just talking about their love for one another. And the telos, the fruit of faith in Jesus, the hope of what comes is eternal life. <laughs> so in Jesus, there is only positive. There is only a life of meaning, purpose, and joy and holiness and eternal life that follows. There was a man named Blaise Pascal. Some of you guys have probably heard this before. And he offered what he called his wager. This has been criticized because people say it's too sort of, uh, looks at uh, the Christian life too much like a deal. And that's probably true, but it's just one aspect, one way to see the faith. And what he did is to challenge his non-believing friends. He said to reject the Lord is to not experience all of the joy of walking with him in this life. And then when you die, if there is no God, there's nothing to be gained there either. If you live away from God and you die and find out there is a God, there is a double loss. (laughs) For now, there is death. But to know God is to enjoy the happiness of fellowship with him in this life. And if you die and find out there is no God, you have at least one in this world. But to die and find out there is a God, you have won once again. So the options are either lose, lose, or win-win. But again, that's not the whole of the Christian life, but he brings out the point that there is a joy in serving God in this life, in eternal life that comes. Be free. Be free from sin's dominion. That's his point. We will struggle with sin for the rest of our lives, no doubt. We will never be perfect on this side of glory. But use your body for God. Be a slave of righteousness. Consider the fruit of your service. The assumption behind this is that we're more than our bodies. Obviously. If your body is being used as an instrument, if it's being used as a weapon, you're something more than your body. We are spiritual creatures made by God. Who you are. Your personality, your soul, your spirit, your very being is not limited to your mortal body. And when you die, as many of our loved ones have passed away, your spirit goes to the very presence of God and awaits the day of the resurrection in which we will be with him forever. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God, thank you so much for the gospel. That through, because of our sin, we are cut off from you. In your mercy and in your grace, you have provided a way. You have provided a savior. You have provided a means to eternal life. And we put our hope and our trust in him, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. Along with that comes freedom. In one sense, we could see it as a new service. Slaves of righteousness. But ultimately free from sin and its grip and its wages. 
And so as we've gathered together this morning, let all of our praise and glory and honor and worship be given to you, the one who has saved us from sin's guilt and its power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.